Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host. Thank you all very much for joining us. This should be a fairly quick episode. We don't have a tremendous amount to talk about, a little bit, but not a whole lot. Uh, especially because there's no UFC event coming up, so that usually cuts down on some of the time because I don't have as much to preview. All right, before we get going, uh, thank you very much for any interaction you can give with the product. Whatever your medium of choice is for consuming this, interact a little bit. Like, comment, subscribe, review, share, any of it helps. Uh, I, I thank you in advance very much for that. On the agenda this evening, there was a UFC event last night. It happened. Uh, we'll go over it. Uh, there was some other stuff from the combat sports world. I want to touch on a few results. And after that, not a lot of news. Uh, not a whole lot. So unless something crazy happens while this is being recorded, we're just uh, we're going to have a fairly quick episode. That might be a nice change of pace, all things considered. So let's go ahead and jump in. Last night... UFC on ESPN plus 48. Uh, it was a card. There was some good stuff on here. I don't want to be too down. Uh, your main event. Undefeated heavyweight Cyril Gaon defeated Alexander Volkov unanimous decision. 250-45-149-46. I was 49-46. I gave Volkov the first. I don't object to anyone who gave it to Gaon. And then the, the other four were pretty clearly... Um, the fourth round started okay for Volkov, and then Gon kind of reclaimed things as it went along. This was, uh, I've been trying to really get a handle on Cyril Gon. I need to go back and do a more serious tape study session on him. He's extremely good at managing distance and at getting your timing. Like, really good at those things. And that'll carry you a long way in any division, not just heavyweight. He's a big guy. He's smaller than Volkov, but he's a... You know, Gon is no slouch. He's, you know... What is he, 6'4", 6'5"? Double-check that. Yeah, he's 6'5". He weighed, I don't know, 240-ish. It's kind of what he usually weighs in at. Uh, I mean, he was smaller than Volkov, but, you know, Volkov's, uh, like, 6'10". He's 6'7". Uh, is he only... I don't know why I think... I always think Volkov's a little bit taller than he is, but neither here nor there. Um, they both did some really good work with leg kicks early. Uh, Volkov's kicking game, quite good. But the longer the fight kind of stayed at the very end of things, the more Gon was able to time, land a couple of blitzes, back out, pick with kicks. Uh, he's good about not backing up in straight lines. Volkov never really blitzed him. So I'm not sure how he would do again against a just. I hate to say this, but if if you know someone like Francis Ngannou decides to bum rush you in a straight line, I don't know how his footwork holds up under that pressure. But he almost never had his back on the fence. Very good about circling. Good about stand switching. He's he's just a hard guy to figure out. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly what he does next. The top of the heavyweight division right now is a little bit weird. You've got Francis Ngannou as your champion, and the UFC is still trying to do him and Derek Lewis. Uh, Lewis, I believe, is the number two contender, because Gon was number three. Number one is currently former champion Stipe Miocic. 
And I just... You're not going to get an immediate... Clearly, Miocic is not getting an immediate rematch. And there's no call. There's no reason to have one. He got finished cleanly. And while Miocic is the most accomplished heavyweight in UFC history, this particular title reign... I mean, somebody brought this up. I saw one of those... Uh, uh, I think it was like a... What was it? The Andy Samberg and uh, Zoe Deschanel meme. Like, yeah, oh, I... I'm a big fan of X, or really name something about them, and then they name something that's very eat. They name something, and then the response to that is, yeah, I set the bar too. I mean, you see them like Doctor Who. I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, name, you know, 14 main characters. The Doctor. Yeah, I set the bar too low. Now, the one about this one was, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Steve Mbiocic. Oh, yeah, name his last five opponents. Daniel Cormier and Francis Ngannou. Yeah, I set the bar too low. Like, that's a lot, man. When you realize his last five were you know, Cormier loses the belt, Cormier wins the belt back, Cormier, uh, yeah, it was it was Francis, Cormier, 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 Francis. Like, did they do all three of those in a row? I really want to say they did. I'm gonna confirm that before I. Somebody out there who knows off the top of their head who's going to yell at me. Yeah, all three Cormier fights were right in a row. He beat Francis at UFC 220, loses to Cormier 226, beats Cormier 241, beats Cormier 252, loses to Francis at UFC 260. That is... <laughs> that's not... That's just... Fighting those same guys in that order... I mean, that's a rough stretch anyway. You know, you got Francis, who's... What he is. You know, very, very dangerous opposition. And Cormier, one of the... One of the better guys to ever do it, more or less. He's not... I don't think Cormier's ever going to be on the... Cormier's never going to be in the Mount Rushmore discussion, right? Like, you name the... You know, give me... There's... What's the way this is kind of phrased? There's a club for all-time greats. Cormier is in the club. There's also the VIP room... For the cream of the crop. The very, very best. And I don't think Cormier's in that. If you, again, if you want to kind of visualize it that way. He's not quite there. Uh, but certainly an all-time great. And one of the very best... One of the you know, greats of the great? Eh, that I'm not quite as sold on. But, I mean, such is life. That's, that's not a knock on the guy. Uh, so anyway... You know, Miocic is not going to get the next immediate shot. He's going to have to fight somebody. They're trying to do Lewis. You've got John Jones wanting to move up. It's just... There's a lot of unknowns right now in the heavyweight landscape. Under normal circumstances, this would probably benefit Gone a title shot. I mean, he's the number three contender. He's undefeated. He's 5-0 and in the UFC now, I think. I want to confirm that. This was five or six. Uh, so let's see. One, two, three, four. Yeah, six. Six no in the UFC. Three finishes. Three decisions. Over an increasing level of opposition. I mean, he debuted choking out Rafael Pessoa. Heel hooked Dante Mays. Beat up Tanner Bozer. TKO J JDS. And then in back-to-back -back fights now has gone five rounds with Jarzinho, Rosenstreich, and Alexander Volkov. 
He doesn't really have a lot of places to go from here. You could maybe do him in Stipe. That's a thought, but... I mean, I, I almost hate saying you know, the guy should be fighting for the belt because he's still such an unknown in so many respects, but at some point, whether... You know, this is true kind of, a, if you look at women's flyweight, uh, Lauren Murphy. Is anybody even remotely interested in seeing her fight Valentina Shevchenko? Anybody? That's, I mean, that's not a competitive fight on paper. Important caveat. But it's not. <laughs> like, Lauren Murphy has squeaked by a couple of decisions that maybe should not have gone her way. I mean, including her last one over Joanne Calderwood. Uh, certainly the one against, where's the other one? um, I think it was when she fought, uh, Andrea Lee. I kind of thought Lee should have won that. If it's not that one, there's another one in her current run that I just, I thought she lost. I definitely think she lost the Calderwood fight. Uh, but at some point, you just kind of have to keep the machinery turning. If you're not going to reward people for winning fights with a title shot, what are we doing? And again, you can argue, look, again, especially if we're talking about Murphy, you can argue she should have lost. But ultimately, it goes down as a win. There's not really anybody else. So she gets her shot. And no, I don't think that's a competitive fight. I think... <laughs> Lauren Murphy marks up very easily to begin with. I think Valentina Shevchenko will turn that poor woman's face into hamburger meat. And not care one iota while she does it, because that's just who Valentina is. She's... <laughs> that woman has no sympathy for you when you step in the cage with her. She will end you. Uh, and you've, you've got... You've got a similar situation here. Is it maybe too much too soon to put Gon in there with Francis Ngannou, who's a significantly more tested quantity at this point? Actually, I mean, could you even argue... Yeah! No, Gon... Uh, Ngannou's fought the better level of opposition, generally speaking. Uh... You know, and has become the champion. Maybe it is, but the man's won every fight you've put in front, every fight he's had ever in the MMA. He's won everything in the UFC. He's beaten again an increasing level of opposition. If it's too much too soon, fair play. But we're only going to find that out by seeing the fight. There's not really another way around that. Uh, so I don't know if we'll do him in Stipe. I don't know if he'll be. Kind of a sh uh, the on deck guy for uh, whatever Ngannou fights. Whenever Ngannou fights next, uh, you, I think I saw somebody mention this. You know, it would just be it would be the appropriate amount of kind of like karmic justice if the UFC went out of their way to you know not pay John and Francis for that fight, got the Lewis fight, and then their their title fight is essentially a five-round version of their three-round fight, and Lewis wins a lackluster decision. I mean, look, their first fight's one of the worst fights you'll ever see. It, it is just abysmally boring. It, it is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. And it's only three rounds. That's the only saving grace for that fight. If you have that over five, and then Lewis wins, just the ultimate middle finger to any plans the UFC might be having, uh, I'd appreciate that. But, so maybe Stipe, but if it's not Stipe or, you know, I'm going to say this about Gon. He reminds me at this point in time a little bit of John Jones. Now, let me clarify this, because I know somebody out there just lost their mind. 
He's not the offensive force that John was when John was at his best, when John was on the rise. Because if you weren't around for John Jones's rise, I can't, I don't, I can explain it to you, but you'll never quite get it if you weren't there. And I, I hate saying that, but it's, a, it's a, something that needs to be acknowledged. There's always a spark for events that take place in real time that is lost in translation when they're simply recited. And you know, the really you know, the good historians or the narrativists or you know, storytellers can help bridge that gap a little bit. Sadly, I'm not quite one of them. But if again, if you weren't there for John's rise, he blew the doors off of everybody. Like violent finishes. Gone isn't quite that guy. But if you look at John nowadays, and again, I know nowadays John gets a lot of flack. Uh, not just for his personality, but a lot of people just kind of falling out, don't appreciate what he does. In no small part because a lot of us do remember the dynamo that he used to be. But he reminds me a lot of John over the last, like, four or five fights. He's extremely measured. He's very defensively responsible. He's hard to hurt. And he's very, very good about picking at you, scoring points... And if you give him the opportunity to finish you, he will take it. But he's become very, very good at managing the chaos of combat. And that is a ridiculous skill to manage. Managing the chaos of a fight, that's something very, very few fighters are good at. The very best, this is a really good indicator of his his, uh, upper bound limits, the guys like John, guys like Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, jo- another thing about Jose Aldo, prime Jose Aldo was not just a wrecking machine of offense. He was really good about managing a fight. And I don't just mean winning enough, winning rounds, losing rounds, etc. enough to win. I mean, kind of removing from you the, the opportunity for randomness to work against you, to work against him. That, again, that came off a little bit lately. I mean, even if you look at someone like Max Holloway. My my admiration for Max Holloway is well documented. Max Holloway is very good about managing a fight. But he doesn't really manage the chaos. He navigates it quite well. But that's not the same thing as kind of controlling it. Max will engage you in a dogfight. Because he's good at it. And because he believes in his capabilities. Think about that again. If you're Mac, if Max Holloway, think about this for just one second. Max Holloway has never been finished with strikes, and he's fought some big hitters. I don't think Max Holloway's ever been dropped. I'd have to double check that. I don't think he's ever been dropped with punches. And if you look at some of the guys he's fought, he fought Cub Swanson. Cub's a big hitter. He fought Connor on Connor's way up. Connor couldn't stop him. Uh, he fought Jose Aldo twice. And gave up some rounds, he got hit, but he's durable. He fought Dustin Poirier at 155. And he got hurt by Poirier, but he never he never even got all that close to going down. Max Holloway is just a durable fighter in addition to everything else. But he lets the chaos kind of flow. Uh, if you need another... Uh, but by, again, by way of the kind of counterexample, and I'm not saying either of these approaches is better. But, you know, Khabib Nurmagomedov, 
would remove from you, his opponent, any chance you had of beating him. Just whatever it is you think you might be able to do, nope. That that doesn't necessitate going into the fire in some cases. He took some pretty serious leg kicks from Justin Gagey. You know, Connor certainly hit him once or twice. Uh, again, it's not... There is no such thing as perfect, foolproof fighting. But at what point was did you ever think that Khabib Nurmagomedov was in legitimate physical danger in a fight? The one round of his entire UFC career that he unanimously lost was the fourth round, was what, the third round against Connor? And Connor never hurt him? Like, Connor hit him, but he never hurt him. <laughs> He's never even. Uh, and, you know, Kamaru Usman would be the other one. Not too many people do as good a job of managing the chaos of combat as Kamar Usman, and even he's not foolproof. You know, Gilbert Burns cracked him in the first round of their fight. You know, Jorge Masvidal in both of their fights had some success against him. And ultimately, it didn't lead to anything. But Usman's very, uh, you know, uh, Leon Edwards be another one. Very good about not making mistakes and about taking away your opportunities to do damage to him. And it, not foolproof. He got. You know, kind of, ra he got staggered by Nate Diaz at the very end of their fight. Uh, it's, it's hard. And Gone and John Jones are both very, very good at that. You know, again, if you, if you look at the Dominic Reyes fight, which is the only fight I think, I think John's ever arguably lost. I, I know there's some people out there going, who whine about the Tiago uh, Santos fight. I don't know what you guys see to score that fight for Santos. I just don't. I really don't. The Reyes fight, I'm a bit more sympathetic to the argument. Uh, again, doing it live, I scored it for John, but even then, Reyes isn't... He's landing, but John is hard to find and he's hard to damage. And you get the... the Gon gives me that similar vibe, man. Some of the weapons that he chooses, some of his stylistic choices. That man's a problem. Would I pick him to beat Francis Ngannou? I have no idea how those two... I legitimately have no idea how those two match up. Francis Ngannou's last performance was exceptional. It was amazing. Uh, I mean, to do what he did to Stipe Miocic, knowing full well who Stipe Miocic is, is... It's an exceptional bit of fighting. But how... How the biggest, you know, power puncher the heavyweight division's ever seen in the UFC, and I think that is true of Francis, matches up against, you know, Gon, who is bouncing, very light on his feet, good about managing distance and range, good with his footwork. And we've seen Gon fight for five rounds. We've not seen five hard rounds. Uh, I don't, I would not qualify either this fight or his fight with Jorginho uh, Rosenstreich as, you know, high-paced affairs. But, you know, we've never... Francis has gone five rounds once, and he lost that fight badly. So, I, I don't know, ultimately. I might lean Francis at the moment, but... At a bare minimum, you know, Gon's a very worthy addition to the top of the heavyweight division. Uh, I, I'm, he's got to fight either Stipe or for the belt next. It's kind of all that's there for him right now. And we'll just kind of have to wait and see on that, but... That man's a problem. That man is definitely a problem for that division. As for Volkov, 
uh, he never got a real read on how to fight Gon. And I mean, to be fair, no one has. I mean, no one's beaten the guy. Uh, but fairly lackluster outing from Volkov, but I don't know if he'll stick around the UFC or not. I mean, he's a good guy to have around, but you, I don't know. He's also not a wrestler type, and the UFC will divorce themselves from those types of fighters quickly. So I'm not quite sure what the future holds for Volkov, but we're just going to have to kind of wait and see on that. Uh, anyway, that was your main event. Find two rounds of this fight, any two rounds, watch them, and that'll tell you how the whole fight went. Uh, let's see, next up, Tanner Bozer defeated Ovin St. Pruvi in knockout, punches, 231 of the second. Uh, St. Pru is just... I mean, what what can I possibly say about that man at this point that I haven't already said? I've talked about this man for, jeez, so long. I was talking, to, not necessarily on this podcast, but I remember talking about him during his Strike Force days. I've talked about this guy a lot. And the sad thing is, what I was saying back in 2013-ish is still true in 2021. Uh, I don't know, uh, Bozer just outworked him for the first round. Got taken down in the second. Uh, there's a little bit of controversy here. We couldn't get a really good visual on this. So um, let me kind of recite what happens. St. Prue finally gets a takedown in the second round. Bozer scoots to the fence and starts looking to wall walk. Bozer's right hand goes up against the fence. He reaches, he posts above his head, right? He's kind of parallel to the ground, reaches up. Commentary lost their mind, thinking he grabs the fence to pull himself up, in a, uh, to help pull himself up, which would be very illegal. You're not allowed to do that. However, on, you know, a second viewing of that, it's a lot less clear whether or not he actually grabs it. And if he does grab it, the extent to which he pulls himself or leverages that, you know, the grip that he has while getting up. How much of that comes from, you know, his base? Or if he's, and again, if he's just uh, pushing on the fence, that's legal. If he just is kind of bracing his hand there as he gets up, that's fine. You're allowed to push off the fence. You can't grab it is all. And if he didn't grab it, then there's no problem. So we didn't get a really great angle of this to ever kind of definitively settle it. Then once he gets back up, uh, Bozier clobbers St. Prue with a couple of punches, drops him, finishes him. Uh, apparently, Ovin St. Prue and his team are going to appeal this. This is lo- this is probably going nowhere. Not definitely, but probably. Especially if we don't have a better angle uh, visually for what happened. If all we have is his cor- is you know, St. Bruce Cornerman going, I saw him grab the fence and pull himself up. Eyewitness testimony is horribly unreliable. This is one of the big uh, revelations in you know, the the field of you know uh, in jurisprudence, you know, criminal justice field. When we started realizing how unreliable I we like I'm somehow part of it, but when it was when it started to become known how unreliable eyewitness testimony can be. That used to be the big thing. I've got an eyewitness. Well, it turns out, they've this has been proven. They've done studies on this. You can have an eyewitness to a crime who will swear up and down one thing. You can have a video of the crime in 
including seeing the of uh, this this person in question and they will watch this and the video will not match what they saw or what they claim they saw it's this happens all the time uh and it's it's a weird thing so their word is not going to be enough if we have video evidence that will kind of conclusively prove one way or the other uh, you know, that that might be enough, but even then, most of these appeals like this just don't go anywhere. Uh, decent win for Bozier. I thought he beat Alir Latifi, and he really needed this win, so good for him. I never look forward to his fights, but, you know, that's partially because I hate heavyweights. And he's just kind of a generic mid-ish level heavyweight, so... Again, I thought he beat Latifi, but if he were of a higher quality, there would not have been a question. And he put himself in a position to drop that split decision. So and He's usually a solid addition to any card. Uh, he's very... I can even say he's very rarely in boring fights. There's a decent chance that you'll get something watchable out of him. Uh, your fight of the night... At bantamweight action, Timur Valiev defeated Hani Barcelos via majority decision. There was one 28-28 and two 29-28s. Valiev wins the first and third. Not a lot of controversy there. The only question at hand is whether or not you give Hani Barcelos a 10-8 second. Scoring it live, I did not. Thinking back on it, I should have. In the second round, Barcelos... Valiev has a really good first round. He outworks Barcelos by a fairly significant margin. He's moving well. He's picking at him with punches and kicks. Threatens a few takedowns. Just fairly non-controversially wins the first round, 10-9. Second round. Starts a little bit more of the same. Then Barcelos starts upping his output. And he catches Valiev. Hurts him a little bit. Valiev gets a bit of a takedown. They scramble right back up. And Barcelos clobbers him with an uppercut. Drops him, hurts him badly, jumps on top, tries to finish. I don't know how... Honey Barcelos is a great fighter. I've said this before I've said this before about him. He's a great fighter. He's a good finisher. He's got power. He's got jiu-jitsu credentials. Barcelos is one of the most unheralded bantamweights there, that exist in the UFC. Was on a long winning streak and just got no respect, either, mostly due to a lack of activity and opportunity to showcase. He clobbers Valiev. Frankly, if the ref had stepped in, and this is one of the reasons I think I was incorrect, if the ref stops that fight during one of those flurries, there's a moment or two when it would have been, I think, no one would have complained. I mean, Valiev would have, but, you know, most people. But Valiev through the power of perseverance, do keeps doing just enough to dissuade the ref, survives the round, comes back in the third round, and does basically what he did in the first, just more effectively, and goes the distance and wins. Uh, again, this was your fight of the night. I agree with that. Uh, I'm very grateful it didn't go to a few of the other fights that I thought for sure, you know, Dana with his sensibilities would have gone, would have given it to. Uh, both Valiev and Barcelos are very legitimate bantamweights. Uh, I expect Barcelos to rebound from this. I hope he does, at least. I mean, 
the big knock on Barcelos, I think his age. He's 34. You know, he's been with the UFC since 2018. Fought twice in eight. He's kept a decent clip, actually, now that I look at it. Well, decent-ish. He fought twice in 18, twice in 19, once in 20, and then once in 21. The problem is he he fought in May and then December of 19. Didn't fight again until November of 20. And then now June of 21, so... Not quite the active... Not not quite the active schedule, but he's the only guy, I think, that's beat Saeed Nurmagomedov. Second, okay. Yeah, um, Nurmagomedov dropped a decision to Magomed Bibluatov. But only guy in the UFC to beat Saeed Nurmagomedov. He's... Again, Barcelos is very legit. Uh, knocked out Kurt Holobo in his UFC debut. Finished Chris Gutierrez. Finished Carlos Washin. Beat Saeed. Beat Khalid Taha. I mean, he's... That man's legit. He's very legit. So I hope he rebounds. I I, I think he... Again, I think he's one of the more unha- underappreciated guys on the roster at Bantamweight. He's very good. Uh, uh, and Valiev... Hasn't officially lost in the UFC. He was stopped in his UFC debut. That result was overturned after his opponent uh, tested positive for uh, some failed drugs. Uh, marijuana. God, why? So officially hasn't lost in the UFC. He that's, That should not be overturned, my opinion. That should have remained. A, my stance on that is well established. <coughs> But since then, beat Martin Day, had a you know, really good fight here with Barcelos, has fought at both Bantam... Uh, he came into the UFC at a catchweight of 140, because Trevin Jones took that fight on short notice. I think he fought at 145 when he fought Martin Day, now at Bantamweight, so went back down to 135. Which is, uh, m- I think, his more natural weight class, all things considered. What's the last... So he's... Again, Valiev's legit. You know, that, this is a good fight. If you, ha- if you have to look up just a fight from here, look up this one. It was good. Featherweight. Andre Feely and Daniel Pineda fought to a no contest. Andre Feely beat the crap out of Daniel Pineda. Look, I'm, I'm not a fan of, you know, Feely or most of the team alpha male guys in terms of my personal fandom. That was a 10-8 first round. Feely, by Pineda's own admission, beat the crap out of him. I don't know how Pineda stayed upright. I think he got dropped at one point, but he ate a couple of flush head kicks. I mean, like it was. Uh, then in the second, a little bit more of the same, but Feely, when he's trying to frame off the face, ga- just gouges. I mean, gouges might imply might. I think gouges kind of connotates a lot more intent than was present here, but he pretty badly poked him in the eye. Uh. And Pineda, I mean, he tried, man. God bless him, he tried. His left eye would not open. I mean, just would not open. Uh, they tried to give him a bit. They tried to give him a bit of time, you know, to recover. You know, see if it'll calm down. He said, "Yeah, I can fight. Yeah, I can see." The doctor. So the doctor covered. Was his, it was his left eye. Yeah, it was his left. So the doctor covers up, you know, does the covers up the right eye, holds up the fingers. How many fingers am I holding up? I mean, Pineda couldn't see it. He lied. The guy was holding up three fingers, and how many am I holding up? He said one. They tried it again. He actually did just hold up one, and Pineda. 
I mean, by the time... To, just to know how badly he reacted to this, physically. They waved off the fight. We go to a no contest. They announced the decision. So, so we get that announcement. Quick commercial break. Come back to the announcement. Andre Feely gets a short interview with Daniel Cormier. Then he moves over to talk to Daniel Pineda, and Pineda's eyes still won't open. Now, we're not talking swollen, but this happens sometimes when you get kind of poked in the eye. The muscle spasm shut. And that's kind of what we were dealing with here. That So, however many minutes later, that eye was still not opening. So, they, it was the only call they could have made. Sucks for Feely. He, again... He was looking real good. I mean, he took a couple of heavy calf kicks that were troubling him, but for the most part, that was all him. He, again, he took Daniel Pineda to the woodshed. That was that was almost all one-way traffic. So I don't know, I don't know what's next for Feely. Uh, there he probably, I don't think they'll try to run this back. That would be a bit of an odd decision. This, given how one-sided this was, so I don't. Again, Feely is just kind. Andre Feely at this point is just furniture. You know, he's there. He wins one, he loses one, he wins one, he loses one. Eh, he, he exists. He's a contributing member of the roster, but he's never... I think at this point, it's... At this point, he's probably as good as he's ever going to be, and I, I don't think he'll ever crack the top ten, you know. But not everyone can, and that doesn't mean he should be cut or anything. Just not <sighs> rough night for him, man. Because, again, he was looking great. He was looking really good and then made a mistake. And suddenly, not so much. Uh, Tim Means defeated Nicholas Dalby via unanimous decision. 29-28 across all three scorecards. Uh, good enough fight here. You know, we got some, a lot of clinching, which was kind of expected, but a lot of clinching. Uh, means just, you know, higher output of work, good body work from Means. Uh, in the clinch, uh, at distance, just, he kind of just outworked and outfought Dalby uh, in first two rounds. Dalby gets the third, but, you know, too little, too late. And kicking off the main card, Hanato Moicano defeated Jai Herbert via rear naked choke, 434 of the second. Moicano first round, again, does okay striking. But once he gets this thing down, Herbert is able to bounce up a lot, but he can never really get separation. So Moicano just mat return, pass guard, Herbert hip escapes. I mean, Moicano had mount a few different times. And it was just, it was not defensively sustainable for Herbert. And second round, Moicano goes right back to it, and the escapes come slower and slower. The effort gets lower and lower. Moicano eventually gets the mount, pounds on him. Gets the back, pounds on him, goes for the choke, gets them out again as Herbert defends, lands some more, gets the back, chokes him out. Really nice performance from Hanato Moicano. I don't know what, I don't know exactly where he fits in at lightweight, lightweight being, you know, the division that it is, but he needed the win. Uh, he was coming off that, he was coming off about uh, Rafael Fiziev kind of putting a beating on him. So, needed a good win, got a pretty good win. Uh, solid, solid effort from Moicano. He had some nasty ground and pound once he was able to really kind of start laying that in. As for the prelims, Kennedy and Zechiku defeated Danilo Marquez via TKO 20 seconds of the third round. 
There was some discussion I saw about the first round. Guys, that was a 10-8 round. Allow me to explain, if you will. Marquez very quickly gets a high crotch lift, gets the back, Zetchiku stands, and for the rest of the round, Marquez is on his back in the backpack position. Back mount is a position of dominance that scores by virtue of you having it. You don't have to do a whole lot else. Now, he did. He wasn't able to find a whole lot of either close submission attempts or damaging blows, which is, okay, fine. But here's just kind of the other... the other little bit of this that needs to be acknowledged. Kennedy and Zetchiku did not land a single relevant fight, a relevant blow, in that entire first round. I, mean, I, I want to double-check this with the official stats. So if we go round by round... Yeah, Kennedy and Zetchiku landed zero significant strikes. Landed zero total strikes in the first round. He landed zero. While giving up his back for four and a half minutes longer. Okay, yeah, the back was probably four and a half. Marquez was credited with four minutes and 55 seconds of total control time. And Marquez landed 22 of 40, give or take, strikes. And again, these were smaller strikes. Guys, if you can land zero strikes and have your back taken for five minutes of a five-minute round and not and still get a 10-9 on the losing end... What's the point of having a distinction? I get that we want more da- I get that you kind of want more damage. That's not the criteria. The criteria is winning a round by a wide enough margin. I hit you 22 times and have your back for four and a half minutes. You hit me zero. What else has to happen here? If that's not a 10-8 round, there's no point in having this scoring language. None. It serves no purpose if we can't effectively differentiate zero strikes landed, not significant, total, zero, nothing, laid, no glove, no kick, no elbow, no knee, nothing, and gave up his back for, again, he had full back control for four and a half minutes, Control time totaling 4 minutes and 55 seconds out of 5 minutes. That's a 10-8 round. Deal with it. If it's not... One, you don't understand the scoring criteria. And two, if you want to argue this on a deeper level than just this fight in particular, why bother scoring round by round on the 10-point must system if we can't acknowledge that one fighter landing zero total strikes over five minutes is grounds to be on the wrong end of a 10-8. It is in boxing. You land no strikes in a boxing round. I don't care if the other guy hits you twice. You land nothing. You're, t- you're being 10-8ed. That's just the truth of it. That's the truth of this situation, too. 
That's a 10-8 round by any reasonable interpretation of the scoring criteria that we were operating under. To argue otherwise is to be ridiculous. The argument that he didn't do enough, he didn't get hit! What more do you want? Again, do you want a near finish? I, don't get me wrong, I'd like one. But if you if you don't have the... I don't know, is this a reading comprehension thing? If you don't understand the purpose of changing this from getting a near stoppage, which was the old scoring criteria language, to winning a round by a wide enough margin, then you may as well only use the old scoring criteria. You're, you, you don't understand nuance. This is ridiculous. I saw those takes. It made my head explode. That's the dumbest thing. Look, we if part of the argument here, and this is the truth, part of the argument, not all 10-9 rounds are created equal, right? Some 10-9s are real close. Some are very clearly not 10-8s by either the old scoring criteria or the new one. But again, that 10-8, the 10-9 that you clearly win but don't really even sniff a 10-8 is not the same as a 10-9 that you barely win, but we don't have a mechanism for distinguishing between those two. And frankly, I'm not certain that it would benefit us to further atomize this. But if that's true of 10-9s, Let's do a little bit of logic here. Not all 10-8s are created equal. Some 10-8s are the byproduct of violence and near finishes. Some 10-8s are the product of positional dominance and a complete and utter neutering of your opponent. You don't hamper the other guy any more than zero... He didn't even throw anything! He's not just zero significant or total strikes landed. He's zero of zero. If you put me in a position where not only do I not hit you, I don't even try. If that's not a 10-8, in all seriousness, what are we doing? I mean this in all sincerity. If you cannot look at that first round and go, this is an academic 10-8 then you probably shouldn't be a judge. You don't understand the scoring criteria, and you don't, for some reason, understand the... You don't understand what goes in to... You don't understand the dominance of back mount, for some reason? uh, Again, those takes, and some of them came from the medium... Oh, God. How can you be that dumb? I mean this in all sincerity. How can you be that dumb? Again, you want to argue that this was... He never got close to a finish? I'm not going to argue with you. Did he do any... Did he damage in Zetshaku? Not really. I'm not arguing that. That's not the criteria, people. And even if it were... I'm just going to go out on a little bit of a limb here. Even if it were... I might still think that should be a 10-8 because... And I can't stress this enough. Zero... Total strikes landed. If you do nothing, and that's what he did, nothing, you should not get a 10-9. Absolutely not. God, that just really torqued me. As you can probably tell at this point. Um, Inzetsuka rebounds in the second, kind of does what he does. He's got a decent volume of strikes. 
Uh, third round is able to kind of finally back Marquez up, land it, uh, unload a long enough flurry to get the stop. It's just a little early for my taste, but I'm not going to come. I'm not. Look, I'll yell about the scoring. I'm not going to yell about. I'm not going to yell about the stoppage. Was it, again, was it a little early for me? Yes. Did I think it was probably going south for Marquez anyway? Yeah, he was gassed. So, that was that. Um, one of the other fights I was looking forward to on this card. Shavkat Rachmanov defeated Michelle Prezerdish via rear naked choke, 210 of the second. Boy, guys. Rachmanov's legit. Michelle Prezerdish, prior to this fight, had lost three times in his entire career. All of them had been in the UFC. And... None of and nobody had finished him, and he fought some tough guys. Again, he his first ever loss was his UFC debut to Apollo Tiago. Wins a couple, including a win over Merbek Tysimov. Loses to Kevin Lee decision. Goes on a long winning streak, including fighting guys like uh, Gilbert Burns, Mads Burnell. Uh, moves up to welterweight after missing weight a bunch. Because the man's a dump truck. Uh, you know, beats up at welterweight, beats Zach Cummings, chokes out Bartosz Fabinski, loses to Ismail Nerudiev, but first guy to finish him is Shavkat Rachmanov. I mean, Rachmanov was huge. Well, part of that is, you know, part of that is Prezerdesh has a lightweight frame in terms of his height, but is, again, a, a, like a tractor. And I think that's his nickname. Is the Portuguese word for tractor. He's... <laughs> Boy's thick. <laughs> uh, Rachmanov had this stupid height and reach advantage. Kept him at the end of it. Jabbed him up. Counter-wrestled well. Uh, Rachmanov, 2-0 now in the UFC. He's 14-0 overall. He's got a real good 2-0 record in the UFC with the guys he's beaten. He choked out Alex Oliveira, and now he choked out uh, Michel Prezeresh. I'm not calling the man a future champion, but pay attention to that guy. He's going to, he will almost certainly be somebody. He's long. I mean, even, even against someone who is not, you know, Prezerdish, he's long for that division. He's kind of he's tall and long, knows how to use it, can fight everywhere. Watch out for that guy. The welterweight, Jeremiah Wells defeated Morley Alves via knockout punches, 30 seconds of the second round. Uh, decent enough stuff from Wells. Uh, Alves, uh, Alves might be just a little bit too shop-worn at this point. Uh, between injuries and just, you know, years adding up. Um, Wells, a lot of explosion, a uh, lot of bursting into combinations. Caught Al Alves through a leg kick, he caught him with a counter right, dropped him, finished him on the mat. You know, decent stuff from Wells. Light heavyweight Marcin Pracnio defeated Ike Villanueva via body kick. 56 seconds of the second. This kick, man. Pracnio had a rough minute and a half, two minutes of the first round, then kind of settled down and uh, was able to endure some punishment from Villanueva and then kind of got to work. Good leg kicks, good body kicks. And he switched southpaw. Villanueva circled to Pracnio's right, but didn't protect the body, so the... The liver kick comes around the long way, generates a little bit more power as it comes around. 
under the elbow, boom. Uh, the, I believe that finish is available on your various uh, social media platforms. If you haven't seen it, give it a look. It's a lovely body kick. Um, Julia Avila defeated Julia Stolyarenko via rear naked choke, 4-19 of the third. Avila just kind of the more aggressive, better fighter all the way around. I mean, Stolyarenko had moments, but uh, just ultimately couldn't quite keep up with the aggression. See, Charles Rosa defeated Justin Janes via split decision, 130-27, which I don't agree with at all. The 30-27 is for Rosa. There was a 29-28 for Janes. I was actually 29-28 Janes. And then another 29-28 for Rosa. I think 29-28 for either man is perfectly acceptable. It largely comes down to the first. Rosa pretty clearly has the second. I thought Janes had the third. Again, one judge disagreed with me, but I don't know what that guy was smoking. First round, kind of the swing round, and while I gave it to Janes, eh, I can see... I can certainly see the argument for Rosa... Uh, again, I can't complain about 29-28 for either guy. And kicking everything off, Demir Hadzevich defeated Yancey Medeiros via unanimous decision, 29-28, on all three scorecards. Hadzevich was really good early, but he almost punched... He would get Medeiros a little bit staggered into the fence and then unload. And he just never <laughs> hurt Yancey enough to get him out of there. <laughs> I mean, Medeiros has... Dude's got a chin. He, <laughs> Medeiros persevered. Uh, the third round in particular, there were some people calling for a 10-8 for, uh, for Medeiros, and I don't agree. Medeiros closed very strong. The last two minutes or so were pretty much all him. He had a decent rear naked choke attempt going as the fight ended. But the first 90 seconds or so, Hadzovic does enough good work to, I think, avoid... I mean, he hurts... Madero standing again. Uh, has another good flurry. You know, he d I, I don't think you can get to 10-8 for Madero's. I don't think he wins by a wide enough margin. Um, good enough win for Hadzovic, all things considered. Uh, and it was a decent little scrap, so there was that. All right, that was it. That was UFC on ESPN plus 48. Uh, if you want just a couple of recommendations, I suppose... Valiev and Barcelos, absolutely look up. Look up the finish to Procneo and Villanueva. Um, look up... Where's the other finish that I thought was good? The Wells and Alvey finish is okay. Uh, and then Rachmanov and Prezerdes is worth watching. Just pay attention to Rachmanov. I'm going to say that again. Pay attention to that guy. Uh, and Hadzovic and Medeiros was pretty decent fun. So those would be my recommendations for whatever my take is worth on that. Uh, your performance, your bonuses, fight of the night, Valley Evan Barcelos, deserved. Performances go to Kennedy and Zechiku and Marcin Pracnio. Fair enough. Uh, not going to argue either of those, really. All right, that, again, that was it. So thank you to everyone who stopped by my live coverage thread or read after the fact. I appreciate all the support you guys were able to give me. That that full report is in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so please give it a read. I appreciate it. Right. Um, we have no UFC event to preview, so let's do some other combat sports stuff on the recap here. Uh, I'll try to be brief here. Let's see. We had... Oh, the PFL. A uh, couple of decent fights came out of this. The only thing worth really devoting time to. Uh, Kayla Harrison. 
She massacred Cindy Dandois. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, took her down, passed, beat her up, armbarred her, uh, mauling. Kayla Harrison just totally mauled Cindy Dandois. Uh, Harrison's... She's finally... I shouldn't say finally. She's kind of turning the corner in the MMA sphere. I mean, she's already a two-time Olympic gold medalist in judo. Uh, but when if you look at her early stuff in MMA, you know, there's, there's things that she was winning on. She's undefeated. So she was still beating people, but she, everything's really kind of starting to click for her, I think. And it's a scary, scary proposition. That, that woman will beat you to death with your own arm. Like, and she's she is a physical. If you've never seen, uh, if you've never seen, if you've only seen Kayla from like judo or in kind of her fight gear after she's uh, cut weight or whatnot, see if you can find some of the pictures of her just in like you know when she was doing uh, bits of commentary or just uh, her other kind of celebrity appearances. That woman is yoked. She will rip your own arm off and beat you to death with it. <laughs> I I don't know if she's. I don't know what the UFC has planned for the future of women's featherweight. I mean, it's not even a division right now. So I don't know what again, I don't know what the future holds. Because Kayla normally fights at uh, 155. She can make 145. That's a. I imagine that's a difficult cut. Again, she's she did it when she fought in Invictus, so it can be done. But that's probably one that takes a fair amount of you know time. Uh, not a little bit like Cyborg. You know, Cyborg had to... She could make 145, but she had to manage that fairly meticulously along the way. I imagine there's a little bit of the same thing going on for Kayla. But, I mean, watch Kayla Harrison fight, guys. She's... It's... Uh, she's worth watching. Again, that woman is a wrecking machine. Uh, Bellator had an event. Not a whole lot came out of that. See, there was a bare knuckle event. Eh, who cares? Hector Lombard got into a fight post after his, after he won. Somebody else walked up on him and he punched him in the face a couple of times. It was funny. Um, uh, we have some boxing stuff. I'll talk very briefly about this. Uh, let's start with Gervonta Davis. He moved up to 140 pounds and fought. Uh, he both he and his opponent Mario Barrios. Barrios then defeated and was, what the WBO champion uh 140 40s what super to the super lightweight or junior welterweight pretty sure at least uh, so the i've been getting more and more i've been getting back into boxing a little bit but i forget some of the weight classes and what they're titled they fought at 140 uh Davis has spent most of his time at a little bit like 130. Uh, that's a real tough weight cut for him, though. 135, which is also not an easy weight cut. Uh, he was pretty significantly outsized. Uh, and there was a real question about how his power would carry up to 140. And the answer is he still has power at 140. It's not the same as it was uh, down at 135 or 130. He stopped Barrios in the 11th. Yeah, it was the 11th. Uh, he dropped him twice, I think, in the, the 8th. It was the 8th or the 7th. 8th. Uh, he was getting outworked a little bit on, on the feet at distance. The, 
the range and the size disparity was something he took him a while to figure out how to navigate properly. Uh, once he did, again, the eighth he fe features two knockdowns, one a lunging right hook, kind of follows up, and then drops him again with another flurry not long after that. Uh, he just... He's fighting a little bit like contemporary Canelo. Tries to figure you out, plays a little bit more defense than offense, and then th relies on his punching power to carry him through uh, once he finally gets a read on things. And that's... Uh, I, I, I don't think his power at 140 is what... Again, it's not what it is at 135 or 130. It's still there. Again, he dropped Barrios twice and then stopped him late. Uh, that's, that's certainly not nothing. But I don't think he can rely on his power at 140 the same way he could at 135. Now, whether or not he can make some tactical adjustments to that, or maybe Barrios is just tougher than the average bear, and other people will fall over when he hits them with, you know, a significantly less... With, you know, if he, had, if he lands half... Of what he landed on Barrios and other people, they might go to sleep. That kind of thing. So I I don't know for sure, but Davis at 140 is an interesting proposition. He's a bit undersized, but he still carries power, and that's certainly not nothing. Uh, a lot of people seem to be calling for him, and um, I think Mikey Garcia. Is it Danny? I can never remember. Was it Ryan Garcia? Too many Garcias. Uh, let's see. Mikey is... Let's see, Mikey Garcia is... That's not the guy I'm thinking of, I don't think. But he's certainly a boxer in the appropriate weight classes. It might have been Ryan. that they, it, it, One of the Garcias, and frankly, I'd be okay with either of them. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Garcia would get killed by Gervonta Davis at this point. I feel very confident in that. But they might do it anyway. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Tank would turn his lights out. But he's... Yeah, he's uh, certainly an interesting player at 140. Uh, you've, got, you've got options. You've got Garcia. You've got Devin Haney. You might... You've got Bud Crawford floating around there. You've got Errol Spence. Uh, Spence is supposed to be fighting Pacquiao. There's a, now an attempted legal injunction to stop Manny Pacquiao and Errol Spence, so... Ugh, it's boxing, who knows. But, uh, Davis overcame some adversity, so uh, you got to see that. I'm curious to see if he will adjust if he sticks around at 140. If he'll change a little bit of his style, or if he'll keep doing what he's doing, because it hasn't broken yet. Uh, but there there are some things that he should take from this fight and try to tweak. Uh, last thing on the boxing front I want to talk about briefly. Uh, former unified 135-pound champion, so uh, lightweight, Vasily Lomachenko, back for the first time in 10 months, give or take. Uh, not quite a year, 200-some-odd days, so I'm going to call it about 10 months, give or take. Uh, coming off of his loss to Teofimo Lopez Jr., got back on the horse. He defeated... Oh, I'm going to butcher this gentleman's first name. I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, Masayoshi Ta uh, Nakatani. 
This was not an especially close fight. Lomachenko abused this guy, started pouring... I, I was... Uh, as soon as the sixth round got done, I, I think I said, uh, one of the Facebook groups I'm part of, I said, this isn't hitting round 10. This is probably going to end in the ninth, and Lomachenko's going to stop him. And that is what happened. Uh, Lomachenko just, again, poured on more offense. Eighth round. Uh, he dropped him... It was weird because he dropped him in the fifth was when he got a knockdown. The sixth was just actually worse, I thought, for him than the eighth, uh, than the fifth, <laughs> just in terms of the damage he took and how the round went. Uh, Lomachenko, first guy to stop Nakatani. Nakatani's only previous loss was a spirited decision loss to Teofimo Lopez Jr. Teofimo Lopez has, uh, he was supposed to have his mandatory fight against um, Cambosos, whose first name escapes me, and I, I forgive me. Uh, Lopez, uh, got COVID, got COVID, so that got pushed back, but the, the line coming out and how true this is remains to be seen. Uh, but the line that was being bandied about is, if they can make a rematch between Teofimo Lopez Jr. and Vasily Lomachenko to be after Lopez's mandatory fight against Cambosos, that's the only time they can do it, because after that, Lopez is, go Lopez is going up to 140. Lopez moving up to 140 and then potentially even further has long been speculated about. He's a big guy. He's he's both young and fairly large for 135. We all kind of knew this was coming. So, now again, whether or not they're going to actually give Lomachenko the rematch remains to be seen. That could just be a line as soon as he gets done with Cambosos, and I fully expect Teofimo Lopez to win that handily. He might at that point say, yeah, the weight cut sucks, I'm moving up, and never give Lomachenko a rematch. Wouldn't shock me. Uh, wouldn't shock me if they do make the rematch either, so, again, that just kind of remains to be seen. But Lomachenko got back on the horse, looked good. He looked real good. Uh, so, just wanted to give a shout-out to him. Uh, if you if you don't watch Vasily Lomachenko fight, you're missing out. It's a real shame he moved up as much as he did to 135. He started his career at... He started at 125. He started at featherweight. Featherweight in boxing being 125. Then moved up to 130. He was, a, he, was uh, he had two belts at 125. Won a belt at 130 and then was the unified champion at 135. If he was still fighting at 125, God. Could you imagine a fight at 125 between him and... Uh, I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. The monster, Naoya Inoue, who fought... His last fight was at 122. He fought a lot of his career at 118, but I believe at the moment he fights around one. He fights at 122. In a way, and Lomachenko at 125. Oh, that's boxing porn. There's no other way to say that. That's that's how good that is. That's. Uh, it's a shame it'll never happen. It's a real shame because boy would that be awesome. That would be all kinds of awesome. Just throwing that out there. Again, not gonna happen. Doesn't seem like that's in the cards for any of them, but... Mm. A man can dream, I suppose. A man can dream. <laughs> so, anyway, Lomachenko got back on the horse, just abused. Uh, if you've got ESPN+, Plus, it was on that, so look that up. He beats the he beats the brakes out of, off of Nakatani, man. Uh, if you're curious about... If you if you only got into Lom watch Lomachenko when he fought Lopez, 
If you're not aware of how special the guy is, watch this fight. It'll give you an inkling. I mean, Lomachenko's also 33. He's been boxing forever. He's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. He might not be all that much longer for the sport. I mean, it just that 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 adds up and enjoy it. We should enjoy him while we can. That's all I'm saying. Uh, all right, what do we else do we have? Okay, last bit of news, then we're gonna get out of here. Um, Bellator, desperate for attention, I suppose, uh, had a brief press conference to announce that in October they're going to have an event in Moscow and it will be headlined by Fedor Emelianenko. I love Fedor. He's one of my favorite fighters. We haven't seen Fedor since he beat Fat Rampage Jackson, and boy, was Rampage fat. Like, I, I I try not to body shame fighters, especially heavyweights. Uh, but man, Rampage in that fight just... Like, there's guys who are just heavier. Rampage came into that fight fat. Uh, it was embarrassing, quite frankly. But they're going to try to hold an event in Russia. They're going to... We have no opponent yet listed for Fedor. There have been a few... been a few options bandied about. You've got... It's a, as a few things to throw out there. You've got Junior Dos Santos. Uh, who recently released by the UFC. JDS and Fedor might be some fun. Like, again, this, these are not relevant heavyweight fights. But... You might get some fun out of that one. Uh, and... Where's the other one? You know, I saw this floated. And I'm going to repeat it. I think I think Brian Campbell of uh, CBS and Mor- Sports and Morning Combat. I think he's the one I saw float this. Fedor Emelianenko and Anderson Silva. You know, don't get me wrong... It's a circus. It's not a relevant fight, but at this point in both of their careers, that might that might be the right touch, you know? Uh, maybe they agree to a ca- to kind of a catch weight around 120, 130, or 220, excuse me. Uh, something like that, or they just don't care. You know, Anderson would Anderson come in, you know, one, I don't know, 190 if he doesn't cut any weight. Anderson fought at 205. So Anderson a little north of 200. Fedor around 220. Close enough. Again, might be, that might be the right flavor of circus. Right? That might be the one. Uh, again, we have no information about who, about any announcement for his opponent. But... There's options. There's definitely some options for people to... For the the kind of you know, celebrity attraction fight that, that's, that Fedor should... Which is... Look, that's what Fedor should be doing if he wants to keep fighting. He's not a legitimate contender. And again, I love Fedor, but he's not at this point. Just the truth. So getting him in the right kind of celebrity fight... And you know, with Anderson kind of re-emerging into the public consciousness after beating Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in that boxing match, it's a thought. It's definitely a thought. 
All right, let's check Twitter real fast, see if anything crazy is broken while we've been doing this, and if not, we will plug and get out of here. All right, nothing new. Let's get into plugs. This week, as far as what I have... Go uh, what did I do last week, actually? Let me start there. Oh, pretty quiet week last week. Uh, let's see. There was a Damn You Hollywood for Luca, the newest Pixar film, which you can check out in over on the Rattletch and Broadcasting Network. Um, if you're interested, we have been over there on the on the W on the Rattlesham Broadcasting Network slash W2M Network. We've been dabbling in the video podcasting format, so if you would like to, you can go to the W2M Network YouTube page, and you can see my not so smiling face. Uh, but myself, Mark Rattlesham, Alexis Haina, and Mark's two children got together. We talked about Luca. Uh, let's see, I didn't have anything else, but. There are, we are currently re-airing The Long Road to Ruin on the on the first six movies of the Fast and Furious franchise. That's from years ago. I took part in it along with Sean Comer. So if you're interested, you can find that. Uh, it's kind of a good time. The first episode in particular gave birth to one of the longest-running gags between Sean and I. So This week, A Damn You Hollywood for Fast 9 will be coming your way Tuesday. I will be part of that. And I think that's it for me this week. Well, that's it for the podcasting format, so be on the lookout for that if you're interested. Uh, as for my other stuff, Monday, AEW Dark Elevation. Wednesday, whatever MLW is releasing. Friday, WWE SmackDown, per usual. And then Saturday, nothing! Saturday is the third, and we will... Uh, there will not be a UFC event, so I will find something else to do with my Saturday. We will be back here, however, uh, next week, that is the 4th of July, so the holiday here in the United States, to preview UFC 265? 4. We'll be previewing UFC 264, the big trilogy fight between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. The rest of that card's a little bit weak. Well, a little bit weak. Not horribly weak, a little bit weak. Gilbert Burns and Stephen Thompson as your co-main event. That's a good fight. Tuivasa and Greg Hardy. Gag me with a spoon. Irene Aldana and Yana Kunitskaya. Eh. That's only moderately interesting if Aldana wins. And eh. And then Sean O'Malley and Louis Smolka. Eh. Uh, Scott and Max Griffin might be fun. Um, oh, hey, Ryan Hall's fighting. Finally! All the way on the prelims, but Ryan Hall will fight Ilya Teporia. That's a tough fight. Ilya Teporia had a 2-0 in the UFC, and he's looked pretty good in both of those. That's a tough fight. But I'm just I'm happy Ryan Hall's fighting because Ryan Hall's fun. I like Ryan Hall's fights. What do you want me to say? I I know I'm in the minority on that, but yeah. This is my podcast, so I get to express my opinions on it in that particular respect, whether you agree with me or not. If you disagree, please do so respectfully. That's all I ask. All right, that's it for me. Thank you very much. See you all next week. Until then, per usual, stay safe out there, and please remember to be well, be safe, and behave.